Hi, I'm Carl Murphy at the Committee for Economic Development of Australia. I'm talking with leaders and thinkers from CETA member organisations to get the lowdown on what they are seeing, to hear their plans for the work ahead and to progress ideas for change. In the lowdown, we range right across sectors, across professions and right across the country, talking to smart people, experts in their field, who, like CEDA, are committed to Australia's economic and social development. This time in the lowdown, we're talking about energy and how recent events have impacted appetite locally and globally for energy transition. So welcome to the conversation with me and Taz Graham, who's the Senior Vice President at Vizion with global responsibilities in energy transition and sustainability. Hi, Carl. <laughs> Hi, Taz. Um, now, look, we've spoken often about climate change and renewables and energy transition, so I'm keen to hear what's been going on in your sector. But, but what about first you remind us where we were all at, you know, before everyone got stuck on a Zoom meeting? Um, take us back a few months. Okay, thanks, Carl. Yeah, so uh, on this great energy transition that we're on, uh, ahead of COVID-19, we witnessed mounting societal pressure to action on climate change and a growing chorus from youth, you know, moral leaders and others around the world. Uh, we were seeing increasing pressure on energy sector companies, from investors, politicians, uh, the media, and from somewhat radicalised professionals even, in, especially those in regulator roles who... Frustrated by insufficient political action, had started to stretch their legislative powers to stop or at least significantly delay projects. In Australia, we've seen judges rule in relation to scope three emissions, you know, which many have argued was well outside their current purview. Uh, but you know, we're still, you know, we, we had the horrendous bushfires across much of Australia uh, that brought the potential impacts impacts of climate change into stark relief. Uh, add to that the earlier coral bleaching events, uh, certainly in Australia. And, uh, yeah, we're all a bit gobsmacked, I think, when the Australian Bureau of Meteorology uh, reported that Australia's temperature had already increased by one degree Celsius over the last century. You know, that's demonstrable climate change that we were starting to see in our lifetimes. Uh, we've all, all been very impressed, you know, by how dramatically new energies like solar PV and offshore wind have come down the cost curve over the last decade. And uh, the intersection of the digital revolution has been accentuating that, you know, particularly in energy systems. Uh, but the technologies aren't quite priced where they need to be for wholesale change, uh, particularly when considering firmed electricity. But they were becoming so close as to see politicians leaning into the problem. So when um, it's only a couple of months ago when uh, you and I were talking with Professor Ross Garno, uh, and at that point, you expressed concerns. Well, you and he were talking about concerns that the pandemic would distract or kind of slow momentum on climate change. Is, is that what happened? Is that happening? Uh, look, I think it's uh, too early to call. It's mm -hmm. a certainly, you know, extraordinary, um, extraordinarily uncertain times that we're in. Uh, but I am buoyed by what I'm seeing and what we in Advision and Larger Wally are now seeing. Uh, but just to go back to that conversation we had with Professor Garno, a fantastic event. Um, you know, and, and for me, uh, you know, I, I was I was quite concerned that we were going to see uh, a significant loss of momentum on climate change action, 
uh, just as we had back in 2008 when Professor Garno had released his climate change review report, uh, just as the GFC was hitting. And uh, certainly at that juncture, we did see, um, you know, the, the wind being taken out of the sails on, on action at that point. Um, but I did also wonder in that discussion about whether COVID had the potential to be a, a great catalyst for change. And, and I think uh, it's becoming clear now that that's, that's really what's playing out. Uh, societal pressure isn't easing. Uh, the awareness of the impacts we're having on the natural world is actually growing, courtesy of coronavirus. And I think having had our 50th Earth Day during this time at home uh, has given many of us cause to reflect too. And business leaders, you know, have continued to take the opportunity to um, uh, to make you know big commitments and uh, and to talk about their role in addressing climate change and other sustainability challenges. You know, instead of taking an either-or picture of jobs versus the environment, as you know we've seen uh, in the past. So. You know, I think so when you positive. say mm. so when you say business is taking an interest, um, you've you've commented in the past about the investment, um, in particularly in renewables. Is that something that you're seeing increasing um, projects and and investments are continuing? Uh, definitely, yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, you know we're seeing. Our energy sector, you know, uh, traditional customers are uh, really leaning into this and, um, and you know, both committing to decarbonising their operations, but also a number of them now uh, committing to net zero by 2050, uh, but, but also wanting to transform their businesses uh, in response to, you know, the threat of climate change and, and the business opportunity. So, you know, I think, I think that's really the, the key message now is, is it's not just about a cost of doing business. It's not um, just a great challenge. It's also, you know, arguably the greatest business opportunity in the history of mankind. You know, if you think about it, that affordable, low-carbon energy, if we can crack that nut, uh, is just a massive business opportunity. And, and as we've seen, as I said, with, with uh, renewable energies motoring down the cost curve, uh, the investment community now is, is, you know, weighing in majorly and uh, seeing the opportunity, and, and there's patient investment now going into this sector. Um, you know, just, just as we saw with the internet, uh, that patient investment, knowing that you know of the huge potential gains in the future by um, you know having a significant exposure to this. You know, I think we're seeing uh, nothing but an increase in, in uh, investor appetite for new energies. So, are there any particular things like Taz? Given yours is a global role, and Wally's got this international portfolio and reach, so are those observations global, or is there differentiations in different parts of the world and different markets? Yeah, look, I think it's uh, uh, safe to say it's it's largely global. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there will be a patchwork of, of responses uh, as we as we emerge from coronavirus and how we tackle climate change. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that the world acts together, as this is you know the Paris Agreement took took us a, you know great leap forwards. Um, but uh, yeah, th- there will be uh, there will be hardship. There will be economic hardship, and um, you know it, it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But but in terms of uh, you know the majors and, and how they're responding, I think we're seeing um, you know a, a real focus on this this challenge and opportunity, and uh, and real action. You know, real real action. 
Okay, yeah. so get give us give us some nerdy facts. Nerdy you're the facts. Ner- you're my nerdy fact master. What is what does real action look like? Like what are some of the um what are some of the transition transactions that are taking place? Not particular customers, but on the scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of leads us down to understanding what's going to happen next, particularly around this renewed interest in renewables. Yeah, well, a quick quick example. Um, if we go to the Middle East, uh yeah, you've got which of course we of can't, but gas. yes, in yeah, our minds, if we, we travel to the Middle East <laughs> and, and think uh, think energy transition, uh, you may not equate uh, the Middle East as necessarily uh, benefiting the most from an energy transition, but but in fact, it's in the Middle East where we're seeing you know tremendous momentum now on major solar projects, uh, on you know funding of studies. Look at the role hydrogen can play in the energy transition. You know, in moving away from from fossil fuels. Uh, you know that that excites me, you know, and that, that's where I think there's some you know some significant action happening that perhaps uh, people wouldn't have foreseen. Uh, we're also helping customers around the world uh, assess and contemplate what may be possible with green hydrogen, and uh, you know it's just a growing number of countries where we've been. You know asking. that I don't even know what green hydrogen is. Oh, okay. Well, that's... is that a short story or is that? <laughs> oh, just very story? quickly, it's it's you know, creating <laughs> hydrogen uh, from from water uh, using um, using renewable energy, and and then hydrogen okay. then being you know a significant clean energy for the world for both stationary and transport energy needs. And is that something we're good at in Australia? Not to be parochial, but yeah. Uh, well, Australia has a, a massive natural advantage, as Professor Garno has pointed out in his recent book, uh, insofar as we can produce uh, hydrogen from renewable energy at significant scale and, um, and, and probably lowest cost, and we have proximity to significant markets for that hydrogen. And he goes further, much, much further, actually, to, to look at and to examine the potential for hydrogen to underpin uh, green steel, green aluminium production within Australia, so so you know substantial downstream processing uh, in a you know climate responsible manner. So yeah, I commend people to read his book. It's it's um, it's an exciting read for this country. So if we're going to get to zero net emissions, there's in, increased interest in renewables. The investment um, and capital position is um, not negatively impacted in the last. <clears throat> Sorry, three or four months. What's going to happen next? What's your call? It. What's uh, what are what barriers would need to be removed to accelerate uh, positive change for climate change and energy transition? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, continued focus on sustainability and, and energy transition uh, itself. Um, you know. And I just go back to you know, as this crisis emerged, you know, many who naturally assumed there would be a significant loss of momentum, you know, as, as we focused on the immediate attention to health threat and then the economic hardship that would follow, and then you know potentially it would be jobs versus environment, um, you know, round thirty. Uh, but, yeah. And then came the oil route, which led some to assume that that would be you know or draw curtains on uh, more expensive alternative energies. But instead, you know, we've seen a very different growing discourse centred on sustainability. Uh, you know, one typified by the response of the International Energy Agency itself and its call to build a much more modern, resilient and clean energy system. So, you know, bottom line for me is nothing will drive change faster than a clear carbon price signal 
And my sense is uh, through carbon taxes, emissions trading schemes or similar, uh, we're going to see uh, action. A and hopefully uh, that's action, you know, with countries collaborating around the world on that, you know, post perhaps Glasgow uh, next year. It sounds um, like there really is uh, an opportunity in there to come back better at a societal and an economic level. So I want to thank you very much, Taz, for giving us the lowdown and catching us up on energy uh, and wish you absolutely all the best for your work ahead. Thank you, Carl. Now, I'll just remind our listeners that CEDA research and past work mentioned in this podcast, including Taz's session uh, with Ross Garno, are available along with a whole lot of other stuff at cedar.com.au. Wherever we are talking and wherever we are listening, we acknowledge that we are in Australia on Aboriginal land. Stay in touch and CEDA will keep bringing you the lowdown. Thanks, Taz. Thank you, Joel.